0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAg.com. Today, um, I've been speaking out of the book of Ephesians, and I'd like to get back to that eventually. But today, I felt just to take a little detour. This just came out of my own personal uh, devotion, my own personal prayer time. Um, But I want to, if you'll go with me to Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, I'd like just to read this. Jesus says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's one of my all time favorite verses, right? You know, I used to quote it over and over and over. I love to hear people preach on it, man. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. King James says, I've given you power, power tread upon serpents i like that do you like that i like that you know and i'm thinking about these things and and one of the dangers is as christians and who are in america and we're surrounded by just a a glut i don't know if that's a good word or a bad word but a a, an abundance maybe of good teaching and some bad teaching but just we're surrounded i mean what what an amazing there are people who are hungry for a page out of your bible and I mean, we've got like what four Christian radio stations in town here. You know, we've got Christian television networks. We've got all kinds of pastors ministering on YouTube. Plus, we've got churches on every other corner. I can't tell you how many churches I drive by just to come here. We are blessed. We're blessed. But one of the dangers that we can we that we can face in our lives is is. Uh, we feel like we need to have more more, something more, another different angle, another person say it another way. But what I'm wanting to tell you is this. We only need one word from God filled with the Spirit acted upon to, to, to see God move, right? We don't need a hundred, thing, we don't need a Bible degree. What we need to do is have the Spirit of God in our lives activating the word that we hear, and then we need to put action to it. Yeah. Simple as that. I mean, you can go through the Bible. I can take you through from the Old Testament all the way to, to the Revelation. We can look at something like salvation or healing or some Bible doctrine. And I mean, we, can, we can spend weeks. There are people who do seminars that last for weeks on, on any one of these topics. And that's great, man. Corey, you were just at a seminar, right? They're great. I love them. But I'm just telling you, you take one word. By his stripes, you were healed. That's all you need, man. That's all you need. With the Spirit of God in that, it will take you where you need to be in terms of your healing. What we need to do is believe the word that we have and then watch us increase. And so Jesus is here. He says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. This verse tells, us, tells me three things obvious right off the top. I'm sure it tells you a lot more than that, but I see three things right here. Number one, there is an enemy right? Some people try to go through life acting like there's not an enemy. What's the problem with that? Well, then we blame everything on God, right? But the Bible is clear. There's an enemy. There's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have an enemy. Peter talks about be alert, right? Your enemy, your adversary is looking around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? If you, if you, if he can, his intention is to devour you, So we have an enemy. Number two, it tells me that there is provision and protection when engaging this enemy. I like that, right? Because he says, nothing shall by any means hurt you, right? Number three, I like this one. It tells me that Christians have been given the authority to engage the enemy. Mm -hmm. Authority, the right to engage God's enemy. And so there's an enemy. The scripture is clear that there is a war going on. There's a war going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, right? Between the kingdom of heaven, between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And we know that Jesus won the ultimate victory at the cross, right? Come on. Amen. He did. But uh, Hebrews says that right now we don't see everything in subjection to him, right? He stood there before he went to heaven and said, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go make disciples, right? But Hebrews says that at present time, we don't see all things in subjection to him. But see, understand this. Yes, he does have full authority. He can come back at any time and claim what is his own, but there is a strategy in his delay. And we have got to not lose heart during the delay. Why? What is the strategy in his delay? The reason the Bible gives is he's waiting for the fruit of the earth right? He's waiting for a harvest. He's expecting something. He's waiting for people to get saved. Come on. Does that not put some, it depends on how you look at it. Either puts some pressure on us or gives us a great opportunity to partner with him one or the other, but he's waiting for people to get saved. So basically we're on a search and rescue mission, right? Search and rescue. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. And we're on the same mission. We're supposed to be seeking and saving the lost. He can end it today, right? But then that would be it. Opportunity over, close. So he extends it. He doesn't foreclose on the earth yet. He leaves it open so people could come. So we're on the search and rescue mission. I mean, when I was, uh, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I was a lot younger. I was living in a mobile home on my parents' property. And I... Uh, it was down in Georgia and there were some tornadoes one morning came across uh, came across the county below us these tornadoes went for 12 miles just bringing destruction everywhere they went took out a high school down there I mean destroyed a high school destroyed houses destroyed houses literally stopped right across the street from us Mm -hmm. literally stopped across the street and that was the end of the storm right when they hit our our house I mean I was there I was sleeping in it was early in the morning I heard something that sounded like a a a, a gigantic dry clothes dryer outside my window. (laughs) I mean, it was just the weirdest sound, but I mean, so what happened after the tornadoes? I mean, we, we were the first ones there. My dad and my mom were there first. They, I was still sleeping. I wasn't sure what had happened, but, uh, They were, what what are they doing? They were looking for people. They were looking for people to help. They were on a search and rescue mission, right? Well, how many of you know a search and rescue mission will eventually turn into a search and recovery mission, right? You only have a certain amount of time for search and rescue. Is that right? Right. It doesn't go forever at some point. And then, and here's the tragedy. There was a little girl, I think a 12 year old girl who died literally (coughs) across the, across the street from us, almost well, a little farther. She was about a half mile away, I think. She died, and they couldn't find her when they were looking. And then she ended up, they found her body later. And they were just like, man, if we would have just looked there, you know? Because you only have this much of an opportunity to save somebody. Search and rescue is a time-sensitive mission, Right? Bonke said, you know, Bonke, Reinhard Bonke, he's passed on now, but the evangelist who who preached all over the world, he said that we've only got one generation to reach a generation. We've got one generation. No matter when, I mean, Jesus could come back in another two, three hundred years. Maybe it won't be this week, but still, I mean, it's somebody's last generation. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're only going to live here so long and we've only got one generation to reach the generation that we're in. So we need to be busy about it. Jesus wants people from every tribe, every tongue, every generation to be with him in heaven. Right. And So we've got work to do. And so to get from where we are as a movement, you know, as Christians, from where we are to where God wants us to be, we've got to advance. We've got to take ground. We've got to have this mindset. We're not just here hunkering down and waiting for the, for the you know, for the bullets to stop flying. We have got a mission to do. We've got to advance. We've got to move forward. We've been given a command to take the message of God into all the world, right? We call it the great commission, right? I looked up that word commission. Uh, it's, It's an authorization or command to act. Isn't that good? It's authorized to act. That's what a commission is. You have been authorized to act. If you're a Christian, you have been authorized already. Luke 10:19 says that you have been authorized to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I love that verse. To tread. So I looked up that word tread, man. Looked it up in the Greek, man. I'm gonna do some Bible study here. Tread, trample, to crush with the feet. Isn't that good? that's that's what he wants you to do with his enemy to trample to crush him with the feet you know one of the reasons the reason jesus came it says in in first john 3 8 was to destroy the works of the devil so he says the reason that the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil he came to undo everything the devil did the problem is it's a delicate operation he can wrap the whole thing up recreate it but then people who are connected to the devil are lost So What do we have to do? Go in there, pull them out one at a time. Man, it's laborious. It's intense, but it's our job while we're here. It's our job, amen, amen. So we've been authorized to do this. The second definition for tread means to advance by setting foot upon. I like that, to advance by setting foot upon. This has to do with overcoming the schemes and the strategy of the devil, right? I mean, what's the devil's number one job? His number one job is to oppose the word of God. To oppose the the, the the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, right? That's his number one job. How do I know that? Because your number one job is to carry this message to the ends of the earth. And so what does Satan oppose? He opposes the spreading of the word. He's terrified of the word of God. He's terrified of that word getting into a heart because he knows that every single person has the potential to grow into the fullness of the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ. And he's already been beat by this word (laughs) made flesh before. Right. And so what God wants is this word to become flesh in you incarnate in you so that you can go and do the same things that Jesus did. Why? Because we're continuing his mission. Right. It's not our own mission. It's his mission. The great commission is his mission. And so, he says, uh, he's terrified. I say he's terrified of the word. You remember the parable of the sower? I mean, what happens? The sower sows the word, right? And immediately, immediately, the thief comes, Satan comes to steal that which was sown. He wants to stop that thing. Remember in the book of Acts when uh, they were uh, uh, preaching, the new church is born and they're preaching there in the temple uh, on the solomon's colonnade there in the temple and what happens the pharisees and they all get upset and the sadducees and they they arrest them and they drag them in and what do they tell them stop preaching in the name of jesus stop this that's what i mean they really didn't care about much else I mean, you guys want to meet, you want to sing songs, you want to beat drums and sing kumbaya, they would have probably helped them. They would have offered them a little tent to do it in the shade. They just probably liked the activity there in Jerusalem, man. Hey, at least we got interest in the temple and things going on here. This is okay. But no, the Satan one did that word to be stopped. I'm telling you, that word in you terrifies him. That word in you terrifies Satan. So we're supposed to advance by setting our foot upon Use every, every opposition as an opportunity for advancement. Use every op- opposition as an opportunity to advance. Acts 4.29, they got together after being persecuted by all the Pharisees and stuff in the book of Acts. And what did they pray? They said, Lord, consider their fre- threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. That was their prayer to speak your word with boldness. God, consider what's going on in this world. Consider the fact that they want to cancel you. They want to silence the church. They want to end you. They want to censor you and enable your church to speak your word with all boldness. And number three, to tread, is to treat with insult and contempt. I like that. And that's his attitude toward the devil right there. Treat him with insult and contempt. Shows you his attitude towards Satan, doesn't it? But understand, not people. And that's where some people have been off. It's not people. It's Satan. It's real easy to take this hatred that you have for the evil going on and direct it to people. That's good. Okay? Can't direct it to people. We've got to direct it to Satan. Mm -hmm. It's him we're trampling underfoot. Okay? And I'm just going to tell you, I mean, I, I... I'm no psychologist, but I've heard of that Stockholm syndrome. You know what that is? Where people who have been kidnapped or captive or prisoners and they start identifying with their captor, right? I'm telling you what, it's psychological warfare and Satan is master at psyops, okay? And he's got people convinced that he's right and they're free and they're not. From heaven's perspective, which is the true perspective, to be in sin and to be in these things is bondage. And we're here not to destroy them, but to set them free. Jesus came to what? Set the captive free, right? And how are we going to do that? We've got to embody the word of God. We've got to have his word filled with the spirit on our lips and show him, them the love. Not, they don't need legalism, right? What's, what's, what's it say in 1 uh, Corinthians? I, I love the passage. I always just forget the reference. But uh, it talks about we're, we're ministers of a new covenant of the spirit, Right? the life-giving spirit not of the letter for the letter kills but the spirit gives life right that's what we are we're supposed to bring life into darkness light into darkness life into dead places and that's what we do and so remember we're not we're not wrestling against flesh and blood right but what does ephesians 6:12 say but against the rulers against the authorities cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That gives you a glimpse of some of the the darkness that is operating in this world, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that is why people are bound is because of these cosmic forces that are bigger than what they understand. But we should understand them. We should know about them because that's what we're engaged with when we go after people to rescue them. That's what needs to be overcome, right? So, So we are authorized to act, authorized to tread. I want to give you just a little bit of background on this passage here in Luke. If you go to the beginning of the chapter in Luke chapter 10, uh, he sends out the 72. Okay. There are 72. We know he had 12 disciples, but at this place in the book of Luke, he is sending out 72 uh, people to go ahead. Well, let me just read it. It explains it right here. Okay. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Okay, there's an urgency here. Jesus is on his trip to Jerusalem. Okay, his ministry is coming to an end. He's not traveling around anymore. He's going to Jerusalem for that final showdown, you know, with the devil uh, on the cross where it's going to be over. But what, there's an opportunity for people to know about him. And so what does he do? He sends out people ahead of him, two by two. And it says in verse two, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. Interesting to me that Jesus does not see a problem with the harvest. His problem is there's just not enough laborers to bring it in. He's not criticizing the harvest, the people living for themselves, living in greed, doing their own things, straying away from me, rejecting my word. Not, he's, not, he's not concerned about that. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying uh, I don't have enough workers to bring them in. So he gets 72 people. We don't even know anything about these people. We don't know who they are. They're not special as far as we know, but he authorizes them and commissions them to go and do the same kinds of things that Jesus was doing. Come on, you've got to believe in the middle of all the craziness in this world right now that there are people who are ready to come and do the kingdom of God if somebody would just go to them and reach them. Mm-hmm. Probably more than we would imagine if we would just be willing to take the chance. And so skip down to verse 8. He's giving instructions to the 72. Read the whole chapter. It's, it's really good. But I'm going to skip to verse 8. And he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. And uh, that, like I said, that one's really hard for me to do. That's why I'm not a missionary, because you never know what they're going to set. I like America where they set cheeseburgers <laughs> and, and steak before you. You know, other places, man, I don't know. They can set anything before you. But uh, he said, go and, and and so when they receive you, you know, go and be a part of them. Nine, verse 9, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come come upon you or come near to you. So he sent them to do the exactly the same kind of ministry, the same kind of miracles that Jesus had been doing all along. Right. And, uh, and, and I love this about Jesus. He didn't say, Hey, you guys don't, don't expect that you're going to be able to go in these towns and heal the sick because I was only doing miracles to prove that I was the son of God. <laughs> it's not what it was for. Was it? What was Jesus doing? He was bringing in the harvest. He was bringing in the harvest. He was. He was. It was an act of war to set people free from Satan, and so he goes and and uh, he uh, he realized that there was a harvest ready at that moment. On his way to Jerusalem through these villages, they're about to pass. There is a harvest ready, and I don't want to miss it. So, you guys, you seventy two, just come here, <laughs> come here. I'm going to authorize you, and I'm going to send you to go bring in the harvest. I know a little bit about bringing in the harvest. Those of you who have gardens know a little bit about bringing in the harvest too, don't you? Because why? When that thing, when that fruit is ripe, you don't have forever. Here we go again. You don't have forever to get it in, right? You don't. It will rot on on the plant. It'll fall off and die, and you'll miss your fruit if you don't bring it in when it's ready. You only have a certain amount of time. I grew up in Nebraska, most of you know, in the Midwest, man. And I remember we lived on a, uh, on a, uh, on a, a farm that my dad was, my dad was out there for ministry. So we didn't farm the whole thing. We had, we farmed a little bit gardens and stuff, but I mean, this was this particular farmhouse. The man owned half a section. It's like 320 acres and, uh, he farmed it and he, corn and soybeans and all that stuff. And I remember as a kid sleeping in my bedroom at night and hearing those trucks come all night long during harvest time to bring the grain into the dryer bins, man. Because why? You don't stop till it's in. When it's ripe, you have a certain amount of time to get it in. And so we have a certain amount of time today, right now to do what we're called to do as a church. Let's not miss the opportunity because when the opportunity is lost, it's lost forever. So Jesus sends out these 72 ordinary men, and we don't know much about them. Uh, pretty much what I'm reading to you in this chapter is what we know about them. We do know, if you'll read on, we know that they weren't from the upper echelons of the society, because Jesus later, he says, Lord, I thank you that you've hidden this stuff from the, 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 the wise and the educated, and you've revealed them to the babes. So in, in Jesus' mind, they were simple people, babes. But come on, being simple before God is the way you receive from God and you work with God, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't these well-educated, these wise, you know, people who studied Greek and rhetoric and all this stuff. But what they were was willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. Willingness to obey the simple commands of Jesus. Your willingness to obey the simple commands of Jesus takes you farther than any kind of seminary degree anybody could offer out there. Amen? Amen. So I just want to say this. Imagine you right now being one of the 72 that Jesus commissioned you, right where you are. Jesus, you know, he told them, go out, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom, right? Just think about that. Go and heal the sick, right? He didn't tell them to go out and when you meet a sick person, pray and ask if it was the Lord's will to heal them. Mm, Jesus already knew what the Lord's will was. He said, go and heal them, right? He, you see, we're not supposed to be the judge, Right? I'm not the judge. Yep. Right? Let me say it like this. Just go heal them all and let God sort it out. Mm-hmm. Heal them all let God sort it out. Right? We're not supposed to go and, Lord, maybe they are sowing and reaping. Maybe they brought it upon themselves. Maybe they did something that, that deserves this. Maybe, may, and maybe they did. Who knows? Maybe it's obvious. But Jesus didn't tell them to go and be a judge. He told them to go and heal people. Yeah. <clears throat> right? Go and bring them to me. Go and preach the kingdom. I want them bring your brokenness, bring your mess to Jesus. He wants the mess. It's what he wants. That's the raw material that he wants to make your life something beautiful out of, right? So when you meet the people, man, and they're, and they're a mess, well, praise the Lord. God, has I got something to work with, man. Bring them here. Bring them here. Let me have them. So we're not supposed to be the judge. He didn't tell them to wait for a special timing. Jesus is like, I'm here now. Time's here. It's time now, isn't it? He didn't tell them, you know, God, go pray. God, are you teaching them something through the sickness? And we say, I'm just just bringing these up because we say these things, right? Well, maybe the Lord's trying to teach this a tradition that we've had. Well, the Lord's teaching me something. Well, when I finally learn it, you know. The thing is, we don't see Jesus ministering that way, do we? See, we want to copy we're, it's Jesus' ministry that we're supposed to be duplicating. And so we need to minister the way that Jesus did. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you things. Do we need to learn things? We, we need to learn things. Will God use your circumstances to speak to you? Sure. But that doesn't mean he wants somebody to stay sick. Right? It doesn't mean he's... He, go heal them. Um, so we don't... We, he says they were... Just go and heal them. <laughs> I'm giving you authority to go heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. Yeah. Amen. Simple, simple. So imagine being one of those 72 sent out ahead of Jesus. Right now, you, how you are right now. And he says, go out and heal the sick. How do you feel, man? Do you see yourself laying hands on people and then mm-hmm. recovering? Yeah. Right now? I mean, what do you need to feel like? What does... What does what does authorized feel like? Good question, right? What does it feel like to be authorized? What if, you know, you were a, a, a policeman and, and uh, you, you, you know, went through your training, whatever, and then they give you your badge and your gun and say, you're authorized now, go to work. What, would you feel different? Maybe when you start off, you know, you got my gun, my, got my, you know, I'm feeling pretty good, right? I can see that, I can see. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, policemen feel just like you feel it's just that they have special training they have some training and they have authority and the authority is what puts them over i mean when those blue lights go up why do you stop it's authority right (laughs) when those blue lights go when they're following you and those blue lights going behind you and that feeling that you get right here going yeah why do you feel it because it's authority right It's authority. Well, how do you think Satan feels when the word of God rolls up on him and lights him up? Come on, it's authority. And then so to get out of your car, man, and go and approach the devil and act all timid and scared, (laughs) like Barney Fife. That's the problem. The church has got too many Barney Fifes. What does it feel like to be authorized? I'm telling you, you're authorized right now. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you are authorized. You are authorized to tread on serpents, and scorpions, and all the power of the enemy. And the badge of police when carries is the authority of the city. And we carry the badge of the Holy Spirit. Correct. The of heaven. Correct. You're operating in heaven's authority. And so you've been authorized. You've been given authority to just tread it. And for Jesus, I want you to understand this too. This is an act of war. It's not just a healing. Everywhere he went to set people free, he was rescuing them. Like I said, it's a search and rescue mission. For, for Jesus, healing is, a, is an act of war, right? Think about that. Every time the kingdom of darkness is pushed back, it's an act of war, right? For I mean, it's real obvious now. I don't even have to explain it. For you to have a strong marriage today in this culture is an act of war. For you to have a strong family and sane children is an act of war in this culture. Why? Because the culture is trying to push us into something else, and they're marginalizing people who want to live good and holy lives. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible says that from the beginning, doesn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? You go read Romans, Romans chapter 1, and you read in, in Peter where it says that, you know, they think it's strange that you don't just jump into all this evil with them. I mean, all the things that they're doing trying to marginalize you are things that the Bible predicted years ago that they would be doing. It's like, okay, yeah, I kind of expected this, didn't know it'd come from you, didn't know it come this way, but I did expect it. Because you guys are playing out everything, you're denying the Bible as you are playing out everything that's written in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But I mean, come on, to have a strong family is an act of war. To have a sound mind is an act of war. Everything that we can do to push the kingdom of darkness back is an act of war. And you're called to be a soldier in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you've been given authority to tread. And so I want to look at this in Luke chapter 10. Uh, go back to, well, go, go down to verse 17, okay? So the 72, they go out and they do what he said. They go into all these villages, right? They come back, and I love this verse right here. They return with joy, and they're saying, Lord, even the demons are subjected to us in your name. And I love, think about this. I love how that says it. Lord, even the demons are subjected to us in your name. I, I get the idea that they were surprised, They went out and they obeyed God and they found out that the demons obeyed them. Think about this. They were surprised. What does that tell you? That tells me that faith is not everything that I've always thought it was because they went out there and encountered somebody with sickness or some kind of demonic activity going on in their life. And what did they do? They obeyed Jesus. Okay, They didn't have this, I'm going to just go, you know what I'm saying? This blast this thing out. I know that they were not even sure if it would work and they obeyed Jesus and they were so excited when it worked. They went back to Jesus and said, Lord, even the demons are subjected to us. They're blown away. That tells me something. Obedience is a type of faith. Obedience is probably one of the best expressions of faith that you could come up with, obedience. You remember the story in Ezekiel? I love it, the Valley of Dry Bones. You know what I'm saying, Ezekiel chapter 37. says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. That's a really quaint, a quaint way of saying it was full of dead people, bodies, bones. And he led me around uh, around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the, of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Now, you got to be real careful. I mean, if God brings you to a place where there's a bunch of dead bodies, you, the question is, Lord, why are you bringing me here? No. <laughs> right? No, no. And when he starts asking you questions, you wonder if those dead bodies are other prophets that he brought here who didn't answer the question in the right way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And what does he say? The Lord said to, to me, son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> ah, yeah, Okay, well, let me be careful how I answer this. And what does he say? He says, oh, Lord God, you know. What's he saying? He's like, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I can't see these bones coming to life. I can't see the, the perversion that's in America being reversed. I can't imagine what can happen. I can't imagine people who've given themselves so over that they've medically altered their body. I can't see that. Can you see? I can't see that. But Lord, you know, you know. And so it goes on, and uh, the Lord tells him to prophesy over these bones that they might live. So, what's the basis of that prophecy? Obedience. Obedience, because he couldn't see it. He didn't know. And so he goes and he prophesies. And what happens? You can read the rest of the chapter. It became a mighty army. You know, the bones knit the bones and the sinew to sinew. And then he prophesied to the breath and the breath came into them. And they stood there and they were a mighty army. I'm telling you, God's end time army. The raw material for God's end time army is out there. Living in darkness. And they need somebody to prophesy and speak the Word of God to them so that life can come into them. What I want you to do is take a chance at obeying God. Take a chance at obeying God. Whatever it is you're facing, take a chance at obeying God. Go after little things, man. Little things. I mean, start with little things in your your life, man, that you've tolerated. Come at them. Come on, we all tolerated little things, you know? Practice on them. Practice hearing the voice of God and obeying. Practice saying, put yourself in a situation where he'll put the words in your mouth. And see what God will do. Prophesy to this generation. And that doesn't mean get all up in people's face and tell them they're wrong and they're going to hell, right? Not that, what did he say? He said, oh, bones, come to life. Oh, breath, enter into these bones. He spoke life to the dead bones, right? The world is dead. They know they're dead. They need life spoken to them. That's what they need. The words of life, not words of condemnation, right? They're already living under condemnation, right? They need rescued you're on a search and rescue mission. Let's not let it come a search and recovery mission. Let's search and rescue. And when it comes to this, when it comes to authority, one of the another thing that we've done as a church is not not Emmanuel per se, but as the the body of Christ, we we like methods. We you know, there's so many people out there selling or teaching a method. Uh, of of how to release your authority or release the power or whatever. But I just want to tell you this. It's not so much what you say or how you say it. It's who says it. It's who is speaking. And I'm telling you, He has authorized you. Your style might be different than my style. Your way you minister might be different than my minister. But I want to tell you, God wants to use you. Just like you are right now, He's given you authority to tread. Authority to tread, to trample the, the works of the enemy underfoot. I, I believe that this passage here is an allusion to Psalm ninety one. How many of y'all love Psalm ninety one? You know? He says, I you will trample on the serpents and scorpions. No, that's the under all the same verse. Say almost the same words, right? You'll trample them underfoot, right? Because he wants us to tread upon the works of the enemy. I mean, come on, who would have thought you could get traction to go forward by treading on the works of the enemy? All right. But that's what he has for us. Amen. So I, I take a chance, man. Take a chance. Look for opportunities. Obey the voice of the Lord. Speak to that thing. Speak to that problem. And come on, let's just love. Let's let him love through us. Amen. 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 Father God, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I just pray that it... it, it uh, First of all, Lord, I pray that your words will stay with us, that you'll bring them to our remembrance throughout the day and throughout the week. Lord, that you'll cause us to walk in the truths that you've expressed here today. Father God, help us to see ourselves as, as, as authorized by you, your armies, your soldiers, Lord. Let us have the mindset, Lord, that we don't have an agenda of our own. We, ser- we, 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 we exist, we are on assignment, Lord, to serve our general, our commander, our king. So Lord, when I confront the powers of darkness in the world, it's not me with the grudge to get out on them or anything like that. I'm supposed to represent you because you're the only one who has the power to set them free. And so Lord, I pray that we would come to a place where we let this word live in us richly. And by the power of the spirit, we, as a church, and as individuals can bring your light into a dark and dying world and set those free who are held captive by Satan. In Jesus' name I pray. If you're with me, give me a good, strong amen. Amen.